Good morning. Uh, thank you so much for inviting me here so that I could come and, and share my testimony of what, what God has done through my life and what I've been allowed to experience because of His great glory. And um, I've been asked a couple of times in the past couple of years to share uh, our adoption testimony, what, what our life has been like and what the process was like for us. Uh, but today was my first experience ever actually preaching in front of a congregation. And I just want to thank you so much for, for giving me that opportunity. Um, for those of you that I haven't been able to meet yet, my name is Michael Copley. I'm a high school mathematics teacher here in town. Um, I love teaching math. But I love teaching math to teenagers, which most of you are not. So I am very much outside of my element and comfort zone right now. When I have my class, there's at most 20 kids, and I make them talk as much as humanly possible. I ask them questions. I want them to participate. And when they don't, I let them know that I'm disappointed. Whereas you guys aren't speaking right now. I'm the only one talking. And so you're just going to have to sit there and listen and hope whatever comes out is good. Um, when I started learning how to teach, I had to write down like everything. That's what my professors told me. I had to write down everything that I was going to say and make a good plan as for what my lesson was going to be. And I discovered as I started teaching that that's not who I am. I don't follow this step-by-step, here's what I need to read to my students. If I was, I'd be just reciting the textbook just about. And so I make an outline, yeah, but then I, I just start talking. And that's comfortable for me because I've been doing mathematics for a long time, and I have a passion for it, and I have some skill at it. And so I can just start talking, and it comes off, and it sounds fairly intelligent. But here, in preparing for this, I find I had to come back to, back to my roots, and I had to write everything out. I had to form my ideas because this is not something I've done before. I'm not as, not as confident with this. Um, I live in Petersburg, Illinois. It's about 50 minutes from here. Um, I love my small town um, almost as much as I, as I love being here and teaching in Pulaski. And I attend a church in there, the Petersburg Church of Christ, and I, I spend my time uh, being a part-time worship minister there. I, so I spend a lot of time on stage at church, but it's behind a guitar and behind a microphone singing when nobody's supposed to be looking at me. They're supposed to be thinking about God and looking at the words up on the screen. And so I get to kind of fade into the background. Even though I'm the one leading the service, I'm not really the one out there. And this is not that. I have recently been asked um, to serve as an elder in our church, and I'm not, I'm not saying that to be boastful. I'm saying that so that you know where, where I'm coming from, and, and I'm, I'm learning. I'm starting to learn what it's like to try and take the gospel, try and take the scriptures, and apply it to other people's lives, people other than my own, what it's like to have empathy for people that are in situations that I've never experienced before. But at the same time, I'm learning that God has put a lot in my heart and has given me a lot that I'm able to share with others. And I'm grateful to you for listening to me and giving me an outlet for what God has given me to say. While I'm so glad that you are interested in hearing my testimony, I have a confession to make. I have been the face of this adoption for the most part, as has the rest of my family. And I'm the one up here speaking, and you're all staring at me as though I have something good to say. But this is not about me, not even a little. I have the most amazing wife 
Okay? And I'm sure there are wonderful ladies out there as well that aren't my wife, and I mean nothing against you. I'm a little bit biased, but my wife is absolutely amazing. She is beautiful, and she has a passion in her heart for being a mother and for children that I don't come close to and that I don't see every day. And as much as my wife is at the center of this adoption, this is not about her. I now have three amazing children. I have one biological child who's my eldest, and now I have two adoptive children from China, and they are funny, and they are intelligent, and they are a joy just to watch. But this is not about them. This is about God. This is about how God has taken me, nothing more than a mere tool in this world, and has been able to use me to do something greater than I would ever have been possible by myself. Without God's word, without a sacrifice, without his love, none of this would ever have been possible. So before I share my testimony with you, I want to share with you a little bit about how adoption is a part of God's plan for all of us. If you'd please uh, open your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 8. I'm going to start in verse 14 here in a moment. Um, This is a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Rome. And um, at that time, the Roman church was made up mostly of Gentiles, uh, Roman citizens who had converted to to Christianity. And so along with that, we need to kind of get ourselves in the mind frame of being a Roman when we're reading this. Because while it applies to us, it wasn't specifically written to us at first. It was written to the Romans. Let's read in verse uh, 14. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. God is the Father of all of us. God created all of humanity and everything that is in existence that we know of. So in that sense, God is the Father of everything. But that does not mean that everybody is one of God's children. To become one of God's children, you have to choose and accept the sacrifice that is given to us, the love that he has provided for us. We have to choose to accept that, otherwise we don't come into it. In John chapter 8, verse 44, Jesus is speaking with a group of uh, non-believing Jews, Jews that did not believe that he was the Son of God. And he says to them, you belong to the Father, lowercase f, the devil. And he's not saying to them that they are unredeemable, that they can't believe in him, they can't choose to follow the one true God, but he is telling them right now that it's a choice that you have to make. You have to choose that you want to believe in that and to choose that plan for your life. Uh, Previously in verse 42, Jesus said, if God were your father, you would love me. And that's exactly what it is. If God is our one true father, then we love Jesus. So to become a child of God, we must choose to follow him to accept the redemption that has been offered to us by the sacrifice of his son, Jesus. Only those who've accepted this and now have the spirit of God within them can become the children of God. Let's continue in verse 15. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave, again, to fear, but you received the spirit, capital S, of sonship. Some translations will say, received the spirit of adoption into sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. This is where we need to start thinking a little bit more like a Roman, okay? Uh, In Roman culture, adoption was exceedingly common. Um, they would take orphans and they would bring them into their home. And according to Roman law, those adoptive sons and daughters, specifically the sons in terms of heirship, those adoptive sons were just like natural-born children. 
to these families. They worshiped with them. They prayed with them. And they were able to inherit everything that they would, just as if they were a natural-born son. The Roman Christians at this time understood, maybe better than we do today, what it means to be adopted as God's children by grace through faith. The Spirit then prompts us to refer to God as Abba, which is translating directly from Aramaic into father, but it doesn't just mean father as in biological father. It means a spiritual father, an intimate relationship between him and those who choose to be his children. My mother has taught me many things throughout my life, but one of the things that she has said to me, and I think she's only said it twice, but it struck myth with me, is that any fool can be a father, but it takes a special man to become a dad. And that's what I read here when I see the word Abba, Father, is that relationship that we have with them. Um, I am not an orphan. My biological parents are still alive, although they are not married. My, my parents divorced when I was quite young. And uh, when I was young, my, my mother chose to marry another man. And this man was not my father, biologically speaking, but he became my dad. He gave me the love and the caring and the wisdom to grow up and to become a man who could become a dad to other children that were not biologically my own. And I owe to him a great deal of what it means to be a dad and a father to other children. Picking up in uh, verse 16 and 17, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. This is another portion of the scripture where may, maybe the Romans understood it just a little bit better. See, in our, in our modern day definitions, to be an heir, we don't consider ourselves heirs of our parents until they have passed on. When we leave our, our mother and father's home, whether it's at 18 or 21, or mom finally kicks you out of the basement when you're 30, you know, whatever applies, they have their stuff, and then you go out on your own, and you have your stuff. And while you probably borrow stuff from your parents, you still consider it theirs. It's their belongings. And, and when your parents pass away, then you receive your inheritance. You and your siblings and maybe some close friends and family receive their belongings, and they become your own. But this was not how it worked in the Roman culture of the time. At that time, you were an heir while your parents were still living, once you came of age and started working on the, the farm or the homestead or whatever business your father had, you had a controlling portion of the business. Not that you went off on your own, but that you had the ability to help make the decisions in this. And that's the kind of heirship that, that Paul is talking about here when he says that we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, is that we can experience that now. Right now, we are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. We get to share in that glory right now. Now, that doesn't take away from the fact that there will be a future glory once we pass on and go to heaven and live with him forever. That doesn't take away from that at all, but that is something that we have at this moment. By the grace of God, we share what naturally belongs to Christ, the love of God, our Father, our Abba, and the gift of the Holy Spirit that is within us. Please turn in your Bibles to James chapter 1, verse 27. Our adoption into sonship with Christ is the beginning of a deeply personal relationship with God. And this is an example of how we are to be 
a parent or a father, to be specific in this case, with our children. But just as God's love is an example for how we are to love our kids now, we can use God's adoption of us as his children as an example for us to follow as well. James chapter 1, verse 27 says, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. This verse comes at an end of a passage where James, the brother of Jesus, points out the importance of living out our faith. Yes, bring God into our lives, invite him into our hearts, but then share him, share him with the world. Yes, read the scriptures, learn what it is that God has the design for us to do, but then preach it, preach it to the nations. It's not intended to keep within ourselves, but to spread Previously, in verse 22, James says, Do not merely listen to the world and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. So yes, today on Orphan Sunday, I want you to remember the more than 150 million orphans that are in this world. Yes, I want you to consider how your life would have been different had you been orphaned as a child. Yes, I want you to pray for orphans, but then do something do something. Save them. You have the opportunity right now, no matter who you are, no matter what age you are, no matter where you are in life, to do something that can impact these kids' lives. And I want you to do so. About 88% of those 150 plus million orphans in this world are what's called uh, single orphans, meaning that they have lost one of their parents. That means the remaining 12%, I know I told you there wouldn't be a whole lot of math today, but I'm sorry, there's a percentage. The remaining 12%, or about 17.8 million orphans, are double orphans, meaning they have lost both of their parents. Some families have been blessed by God with the means and the opportunity and the ability and the heart to take these children and bring them into their homes, okay? Whether it's through formal adoption, whether it's through foster care, whatever the means may be. But that's not what everyone has the ability to do. That's not what God has put in everyone's heart to complete. Maybe Maybe God has planned for you to financially support somebody who is adopting or somebody who is introducing foster care. Or maybe God has asked you to donate some of your time, whether it be to, to help out these families by cooking for them, by cleaning for them, by helping with yard work. Or maybe God has asked you to, to spend time with them and pray with them and pray for them. Or maybe God has asked you to share your lives with them, to take these kids and to tell them your story. Or more importantly, maybe, to tell them God's story and how important they are to him. No matter who you are, no matter where you are, you have something to offer. I would not be here and I would not have these beautiful children if it wasn't for you. Okay? I, I don't live in this community. I don't attend this church. But this congregation has helped me without a doubt in my adoption efforts. Okay? The same as the people who are at my home church back in Petersburg, and people who apparently have a network of all these adopting families that I didn't even know existed a few years ago with prayer and petition and helping with fundraising money and with everything else that we've needed. Without you and all of them, this never, ever would have happened. I was not aware of these statistics uh, before we adopted, but I, I learned recently that apparently around a quarter of all Americans have considered adopting, whether international or domestic or otherwise. 
but only 2% do so. Are you those 2%? Our adoption story starts appropriately at the beginning. However, the beginning of this story is not when we first filled out the paperwork uh, to, to try and adopt a child. Uh, it actually starts quite a bit before that. In uh, May 2004, I married the most wonderful woman in the world, my wife. And she had known since she was a little girl that she wanted to have a large family. And if I was going to be her husband, that was going to be a part of my plan too. And I said, sure, that sounds good to me. And so we, we started our marriage. We were still in school at the time, and, uh, and we were finishing things up, and that was great. And so we, we knew we weren't going to start a family right away. Um, but then we decided that we were going to, and then struck POS. Now, POS may not be the POS that first come to your mind. Don't be dirty, okay? POS stands for polycystic ovary syndrome. We didn't know that my wife had this before we started to try and have children, but it's, it's a, a condition that that makes it difficult for us to conceive naturally. And so we said, okay, that's fine. You know, we live in a modern age. Uh, there's infertility. We can go to doctors, and they can give us medicines and, you know, do whatever it is that they do, and they can help us out. And so we started infertility treatment, and wouldn't you know it, the first time, very first thing we did, the first treatment, it worked, okay? It was miraculous. And uh, in February of 2008, our first miracle came into being. My eldest son, Wesley, uh, that's him there getting his yellow belt, yellow belt a few months ago. Um, he is a joy. He is so positive and so creative and so happy. Um, he really was a miracle to our family. And we thought, great, you know, we, we prayed about it, and God opened, opened my wife's womb and made it able for us to have a child. Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll do it again. It'll happen whenever, whenever we want it to. All we've got to do is pray, and it's going to work out, and it's going to be beautiful. And that wasn't for us. We had these expectations that since it had happened already, then it was going to happen again. But that's not what God had in mind. We started uh, trying to conceive again, and we went through not one bout of treatment with infertility, but two and a half years, two and a half years of trying to have a child with no success. In those two and a half years, we ended up with two miscarriages, which I didn't understand before, like what that meant. I mean, I, I knew what it was, obviously, but I didn't understand what that would mean as a father, but it really felt like I had a child and then it was taken away. And it was devastating. And to go through it twice, I, I, I now feel that I have two children who, who have passed on, who are now living in heaven. And that was devastating to us. See, we had these expectations that because God's plan for us at first was to have a natural birth, that that's what it was going to be the next time. And that wasn't what it was. And in January of 2012, Sarah kind of started having the feeling that maybe Natural birth wasn't what we had planned, wasn't what God had planned for us. And she didn't share that with me right away. Um, she had just been thinking to herself. And we still did some infertility for a little bit during that. And then in, in June of that year, we decided we were going to adopt. We started the idea of an adoption process. And we convinced ourselves that, that God has been sending us a message and putting in our hearts that, yes, we need to grow our family, we want to grow our family, but that wasn't going to happen the way we initially decided. And so in June 2012, we decided we were going to adopt you. Great, that was awesome. And then a, a tragedy struck. Uh, my father-in-law, who 
is a man who I loved dearly, um, suddenly passed away very quickly. Um, he and I were in, in the hospital talking together. Um, he'd had a heart cath, and there were some complications with it, and so he was going to stay in the hospital for a little bit. And he and I were talking. Everything was great. Um, you know, going along, he's going to go do a test, and then hours later, he was gone. And it was so sudden, and he was so young, and my wife and I were so close to him that it broke us. And it took us a while to get back into doing what God had planned for our lives. And so about two years later, in 2014, we got the kick, okay? You know how God, you know, nudges you, you know, like whispers something and tells you, oh, maybe, maybe you need to start doing this. God gives you that little, little nudge. It doesn't take a nudge with me. Apparently, I'm very dense, okay? God had to kick me, and he had to kick me hard to really get us in gear. And uh, we got a phone call one day out of the blue. A friend of ours who had adopted before had heard about a family um, that was going to give birth and, or just given birth to a child with muscular dystrophy. I didn't know anything about muscular dystrophy. All I knew is that family decided that they weren't going to be able to take care of this child as their own, and they wanted to give him up for adoption. And our friends wanted to know if we were interested in taking on this child. And we got that phone call, and we said, okay, well, we'll pray about it, we'll talk about it. And we realized that this, this might be God's plan, that God had given us this opportunity to finally do what he had asked us to do, to adopt a child. And so even though we were nervous and not sure what the special needs would, would mean, we did it. We said, okay, we're going to do it. We're going to adopt this child. And so we said, yeah, we're in. We're all in. And about a week later, we found out that this, uh, this family, this couple had chosen another family to adopt their child. Not that we weren't a good family, not that we were a bad family, not that we weren't faithful enough. They just decided to, to put this child with somebody else. And it wasn't as difficult for me, I think probably because I'm, I'm a man, but it was very hard on my wife, harder on her than she thought it was going to be. She thought she would be a little bit relieved. Um, we didn't really understand the special needs. It would have been a huge life adjustment. Okay, now we can take a breath and step back and reevaluate. But it wasn't a relief. It wasn't a relief to have another family chosen over us for this child. She kind of felt a sense of loss that we had decided that this child was going to be ours. We made the decision to invite them into our home forever and it just didn't go through. And so that's when we really decided that we were going to kick it in gear and we were going to get this adoption going. Uh, that April, this is April 2014, we went to a meeting, a meeting that all adoptive families have to go to at some point or another for their training. And uh, we're waiting for this meeting to get started. And there's a TV screen in front of us that's going to have the PowerPoint or whatever on it. And before we start going, there's this, these slides that kept going through. And on those slides were pictures of kids. These were orphans who were going to come visit America for a month during the summer to try and help find them adopt a family. And we're just looking at these kids, and I don't know how anybody could look at these pictures of these kids and not want to take one home with them. Uh, we sure couldn't. And so we looked at them, and we decided about a week later that we were going to host one of these children from China and that we were going to adopt that child. And so that June, uh, Kevin Sahung Copley came in to, to visit our family. And we had known that we were going to adopt him, but he, he didn't know it at that point. And come to find out, he had disabilities that were more severe than we understood and, and we weren't really prepared for. But that, that was okay. It didn't hinder us. He just had no idea what was going on. And so he got to visit us for a month. We got to spend a wonderful time with him. And it was great. But then we had to send him back. 
We, even though we were adopting him, we couldn't keep him. We had to visit for one month, and then we had to put him on a plane back to China while we finished everything up. Okay? It was the, one of the hardest things I've ever had to do is to put him back on a plane and watch him fly away. But thank God, God made him a joyful boy because he was happy and he was smiling. He was so glad to be back with his friends that had come over with him that he waved by and got on that plane, and that was it. He was none the wiser. But that really kicked us in gear. And then nine months later, in May 11th of 2015, we adopted Kevin. And so there are some pictures of, of our family and how it's been growing through that time. While we were in China, we felt God nudge. And it wasn't a kick this time, at least not yet. It was just a nudge at this point. Uh, a lot of the families had been there before. We were with a group of about six, and we were one of the only ones that this was our first trip. The rest of them had been there before. And we were like, well, maybe... Maybe this is something we're supposed to do. Maybe we're supposed to kind of follow in these families' footsteps and do it again. And we decided before we were even back on American soil that we were going again, that we were going to do another uh, adoption and probably from China and that we were going to follow that. And then we had that choice. You know when God asks you to do something, whether it's to, uh, to talk to that stranger on the street or to say something to the, the mother in the grocery store, give her a word of encouragement or, or whatever. You know, he gives you that nudge, but then you have that choice. I can either do what God is telling me to do or I cannot. We had that choice. And so the, the choice was to follow him and the plan that we think he had for us or not to follow. Well, in January 2016, just this year, just a few months ago, we began the process for our second adoption. Now, this summer, uh, there was another hosting program, and my wife and I decided that we were not going to take part in this one. Not that we didn't want to, to help uh, orphans or anything, but since we had just adopted Kevin and we were already putting a whole lot of money in towards another adoption, we decided that it wasn't really responsible for us to, to do the hosting program. It does cost money, and we didn't think we were in the best situation. So we let other families uh, choose the children, and we thought, okay, great, you know, we'll help with some of the chaperones or whatever. You know, no big deal. And then a week into it... Uh, we got a call from the lady who runs the hosting program, and she said we had a, a child who was with a family, and the family has decided that they can no longer keep him. They committed to four weeks of, of being with this boy, Gian, and that they couldn't keep him anymore. And they're like, will you take him? <laughs> yeah, of course we will. Okay? We love kids. We're, we'd love to have him come over here. I mean, because remember, it's really not about us. It's about God and about what we can do for him. And so we, we introduced Gian into our, um, into our family, and we knew that it was only for three weeks. We knew that we couldn't adopt him. We were already in the process of adopting our little girl, um, so, so we knew that we couldn't adopt him, but we spent our time trying to find a place for him. And just a few days before um, he was scheduled to fly home, we found the family, or rather the family found him, and they decided that they were going to make him a member of their family. And just, just being able to witness this was amazing. Meanwhile, things for our adoption are moving so quickly. And I don't mean like so quickly like it seems like time is flying. Like everything really was moving quickly. Things that were supposed to take two or three weeks would take two or three days sometimes, it would seem. And things that were supposed to take eight to ten weeks on the government time, which really means, you know, 12 to 16. But uh, they were happening in, in six weeks. Things were happening so quickly, and we, we couldn't figure out why. Was it because God really wanted um, us to do this, and there was some kind of time frame that was important? We didn't have a clue. And then on Memorial Day, 
we figured it out. This was before June was here, but we finally found out uh, my wife was unexpectedly expecting. Uh, we did not go through infertility treatments. We had no medical part with this whatsoever. This was strictly God healing my wife and making it possible for us to have another child. And we were followed by, with this, this sheer joy, we were followed by sheer terror. Because in the adoption world, this is a huge thing. When you're in the process of adopting, if you become pregnant, one of three things happens. Either they let you continue, some countries and some adoption agencies let you do that, or sometimes they put you on hold, which means they wait until after the baby is born for six or eight months, and then you can pick up, which would really set back our time frame, leaving our little girl in an orphanage or a foster center longer than we wanted. Or it is possible sometimes it happens that they cancel it, that they, for lack of a better term, take the daughter that we had now decided was ours, and they basically put her back on the market for somebody else to find. And just the thought that that could happen was terrifying to us. And so we spent Memorial Day, because everything was closed, we couldn't call anybody important to ask them. We spent Memorial Day just terrified that that was going to happen to us. And you know how humans are. We always take and assume the worst in things. And that's exactly what we did. We weren't faithful. We were terrified. We tried to be uplifting, but it didn't work. But the very next day, my wife called, and shortly thereafter, we, we found out that, yes, we're far enough along in the process because everything had been going so quickly that we could continue our adoption. And that's nothing but God. God moved everything so much more quickly so that we could adopt this little girl and also have our baby. And so then we were back again. Just a month ago, a month ago on the 11th, we were back in China, and we adopted our little girl, there's a picture of us in the, in the airport, and we adopted Evelyn Joy Yinlong Copley to be our daughter, and our lives have not been the same since. She is feisty and always wants attention, but she is so joyful, just like her name says. She is always happy, and she was always wanting to be with us and be held. And so now what? What are we going to do now? Where are we at? Well, right now, we are adjusting. We've just had her a little bit over a month. We're still adjusting to a family of three, knowing that in February we're going to be a family of four. I have no idea what that's going to be like. I'm kind of terrified out of my mind, but I know God's got it. I know he's going to work through it. I know it's going to be wonderful, and God has put all of you and other people in my lives to help me along this journey, but that's where we are. Now, I know that those kids are cute, and it's so easy to, to think about, oh my gosh, adoption, look at those wonderful kids we can bring into our homes and, and focus on the children. And I, and I want you to think about the children, but we have to remember one major thing. Who did this? Whose idea was it? Who's behind it? It's not me. It's not my family, and it's not you. It's God. This is all about him, and this is what we have to serve him. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the wonderful blessings that we have received in our lives. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the talents and the abilities that you have blessed us with, with your Holy Spirit, so that we can, we can serve you in the variety of ways that you want. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the families who have opened their hearts to adoption and to foster care, for those who have invited children into their families and treat them as if they were their own because they love you so much. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for those who have given their time to help those who are adopting. You put it in our hearts, and we give them to you. It's all because of your son, Jesus. And it's his name we pray. Amen.